Check. Can you hear me now? All right. Praise God. How are you guys doing this morning? I'm really I'm blessed every time. Uh, uh, Todd and, and the guys, uh, Greg and Mel and Kaylin, and them do praise and worship. Uh, that's an awesome time in the Lord. Amen. Well, I'm going to con- uh, kind of continue with the theme that I've gathered, what CJ has been uh, uh, sharing. And I want to talk about something. I want to talk about kingdom integrity this morning. So before I get into the word, uh, let's, will not you bow your heads and pray with me? Uh, Father God, we come to you this morning, Lord God, with, uh, with hearts that are willing to be real, Father God. Hearts that are ready to worship you that are willing to live for you, to live lives worthy of your name. Father God, I just pray that you bless the hearts of us all here this morning, Lord, and and just let the truth of your word resonate. Despite the messenger, Father God, despite the human uh, flaws that may exist in the messenger, Father God, let the truth of your word resonate and resound in the hearts of your people this morning, Lord, uh, that we might be able to stand up and be accounted for in our generation, Father, for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm going to go a few places today. Uh, I want you to drop by 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse uh, 24 through 27. Very familiar passage. And as we're going there, just want to share some thoughts that went through my mind as uh, this week as I was uh, wrapping up preparations on the message. One includes a cliche that you often hear, particularly related to sports, and since that's my background, it kind of resonates with me. But concerning life's defeats, We've all heard it said that losing builds character. How many of you heard that? Oh, a few of you. Is the percentage that low? Nobody's in it. My question is, does it? Really? Is that an absolute in and of itself? And if that's the case, doesn't that imply that winning is bad for character development? And if that's the case, then why do we want our kids and grandkids to win so much? Think about that. Be careful with cliches. If I think that losing is what builds character, then I might settle for that instead of striving to do those things that are necessary to win. Amen? (laughs) If I had my preference, I'd rather win and build character. Scripture tells me that Christ Jesus made us to be more than conquerors. That sounds like a winner to me. How about you? 
He wants us to win, but he wants us to compete in a way that won't disqualify us from attaining the prize. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery, striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. All he's saying is, look, God has marked out a path for you. Amen? It's a path that you're intended to win. It's a path in which you're intended to be successful. The victory has already been won in Christ. So he's given us the ability to walk it out, to walk it successfully, and represent the kingdom of heaven. Amen? But he's saying there's a way you've got to go about it. How many of you have been watching the NCAA tournament? Wow. I guess I've not been spiritual as some of y'all this, this week. I've been watching a little bit of that. <laughs> but you see, it's called March Madness for a reason. There's a lot of ups. There's a lot of downs. There's a lot of challenges. You know, it's not easy to win six straight games to win a national championship. But you find a common thread in the teams that are successful. They play the game the right way. They don't make mistakes to beat themselves. They play the percentages. They make the smart play. They work together as a team. They do the things necessary to win the race. When you get down to the final eight, we're in the Sweet 16 now. You get down to the final eight, the final four, you'll pretty much see mirror images of those qualities in all the teams that are there. And the ones who do it the best will end up being the champion in the end. It's the same way in the Christian walk. We determine how successful we are in the Lord. God has given us everything available to us to be able to do the things he's called us to do. A lot of those kids have a coach, and the coach pleads and preaches and drives and instills principles and so forth. But when they're on the court, guess who's going to have to internalize those things and make it happen? The players. You know? So we have pastors. We have the Word of God. God has preached. CJ has preached. Our leaders preach. They tell us what the Word of God says. They encourage us. But who's going to have to make it happen in our daily lives? When we're on the court of life, we're going to have to make it happen. And if we want to be successful, if we want to attain the prize, we're going to have to take ownership of those godly principles. We're going to have to take ownership of the things that 
pertain to the kingdom of heaven, the things that will lead to success. And we're going to have to make them the blueprint, the thing that we base our lives on and we apply in these situations, whether we're in good times or whether we're facing challenges, whether it's easy or whether it's hard. Whether it's in the public eye or whether it's in private. Because private is probably where we struggle the most. I was talking to, uh, I'm not even going to say a name. I was talking to uh, someone I happened to be married to. And we were talking about some of the personal struggles in our lives. And, uh, you know, We've been trying to get in shape for years and not really making any headway, as a matter of fact, losing ground. And uh, we say the right things. We, we ask each other to hold each other accountable. And, and, hey, if you see me grabbing a cookie at midnight, you know, tell me not to do it. Only when one of us tries to do it, the other dismisses it anyway. Sometimes with an attitude. And, you know, <laughs> and we, we've got to telling ourselves that, you know, these tendencies don't just manifest themselves in the middle of the night after the kids are asleep. But, <laughs> you know, these things play out in the daytime as well. And we're, and, and we're talking about what kind of example, you know, that we're being for our little ones, that we're being for our kids. And that really what we're not doing is we're not having self-control. You know, our body says it wants X. And we'll do everything. We'll break our necks to give it X. Even though giving it X is hurting us. <laughs> Isn't that right? So I'm talking about, I guess, as a title, kingdom integrity. So basically we talked about we're not really having an integrity in those little things. You know, I tell my kids, no, you got to eat your vegetables. No, you don't get snack today as I'm eating an ice cream in one hand and a six-pack a, a six of cookies in another. I'm washing it down with a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> so I'm communicating to them that, it's, that you can't do it, but when you're grown, you can do whatever you want to. It's bad. No, it's bad for you. It's all right for me. So we've just been trying to challenge ourselves, challenge ourselves to, to really step up and show our kids that we really believe what we say. To the point that we're willing to discipline ourselves and bring ourselves under subjection. That's really what, you know, that's the reason why instead of 195 pounds, I'm 230 now. You know? Chips, sodas, candies, cookies, all that stuff. Almost every other night, every night. Then I'll get up and go to the gym the next day. And finish it out again the same way. And wonder why I'm not making any progress. But if I, I want to win, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling on, but if I want to win in that area, I'm going to have to go about it the right way. There's no shortcuts. There's no easy way. There is the right way, and I'm going to have to get real, and I'm going to have to decide that I'm going to have to get serious if I want to see some results. 
the same thing. You can take that same thing I just said and apply it to whatever area you're struggling in. What are you struggling? Your struggle could be attitude. Raise your hand if you got that attitude. No, don't do that. Don't do that. <clears throat> Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. I couldn't find my uh, Bible the past couple of days, so... I'm reading, if you hear a lot of thuses and thous and these, I'm reading King James Version. Colossians 1, starting at verse 9. This passage is loaded. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, did not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Paul tells the Colossians that he is praying for their growth in spiritual understanding and wisdom. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, the way he writes that, it tells me we must be growing at all times at walking worthy of the Lord. It's not just a growth and then we stop. Maybe sometime later on, growth and we stop. But it's a continual growing in a walk as we are continually trying to get better at walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Does that make sense? Ephesians says something very close to that at the beginning of chapter 3. Now, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord doesn't mean trying to live in such a way so that we'll be worthy of God's choosing for our salvation. We've already been chosen for salvation. Paul is urging us to walk in a manner that shows that. It may be obvious to some, but I'm not assuming anything. You know, he's not saying walk this way to earn anything. He's saying now that you have this salvation, walk in a manner that reflects it. Start where you're at and continue to strive to get better at it. To continue growing. We've been set apart by God as holy and blameless. That's Ephesians chapter 1 in verses 4 through 6. 
And we must live our lives accordingly. You can write that down. You don't have to turn there. I just, I just wrote it down. We must live accordingly, namely by one, taking, I'm taking this right out of the passage, growing in wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's one. Two, bearing fruit. And three, increasing in the knowledge of God. Isn't that what he said in the passage? He said, I'm praying for you. I do not cease to pray for you in verse 9, to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's his desire for the Colossians. Question. Are you walking in a manner worthy of the Lord? I'm not saying anybody isn't. I'm just having, I'm asking you the question so you can reflect. You know, let's look at this. Are we, are you growing in wisdom and spiritual understanding? Are you bearing fruit? Are you increasing in the knowledge of God? Are you doing those things that will bring these realities about? Where is the fruit in your life? We have to think through these things and challenge ourselves to, in order to grow in the things of God. Where is the fruit in your life? How are you growing? I'm not assuming anybody's not growing, but how are you growing? And what are you doing to continually grow? And then Paul follows that up right after with his prayer for them to be strengthened in endurance and patience. Why does he pray for them about that? Because he knows how hard it's going to be for them to live and to grow in living in a life worthy of God. It's not an easy thing to do. So he prays for them to be strengthened in endurance and patience because he understands what a struggle is going to be for them. But yet, it is something that must be done. Amen? Patience. Uh, I kind of parked there for a minute and started to ponder, meditate on that. But patience with who? Patience with what? I put patience with others. Patience with yourself. Patience with God. And understanding that he is working on and in you. I don't know if any of you know this, but God's timing isn't, doesn't always match up with ours. And sometimes we want him to hurry up and get it done. We want to be at the next phase as soon as possible, but he's working on us and in us. And we can get mad at God when we need to have patience and allow his perfect work to be formed in us so he can prepare us to face Goliath. David just didn't walk up and slay Goliath. He had a bear and a lion somewhere in the past. 
And that has to deal a little bit with attitude, doesn't it? I know it's not fun to talk about attitude. But I'm not always a, a fun preacher. Patience with God and understanding that he is working on and in you. Yes, you might fail. You might disappoint. But Paul is urging you to press on. In the mighty strength of Almighty God, keep pressing on. Keep pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask, where is, uh, is Greg not here? Well, that's, that's all right. Well, the word of God says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So, if we try to wage kingdom warfare in carnal ways, using, using carnal weapons and methods, are we competing with kingdom integrity? Somebody answer me. Do you think we are? If we, if we take, given the fact that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, if we use carnal weapons and methods, even if our intent is to wage spiritual warfare, are we really fighting to win? So if we're doing that, are we competing in a way that qualifies us to attain the prize? Obviously, the answer is no. But we get so caught up sometimes in little squabbles, uh, affiliations, uh, issues of the day that we forget who we represent and how we are supposed to represent him as members of the kingdom sometimes. So I just want to encourage us as brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. Let's not allow arguments and squabbles and, and issues and different things to make us forget who we belong to and how we're supposed to represent him. He wants us to fight, but fight to win. He wants us to run the race, but we're in the race so we can attain the prize. Probably wonder where I'm, going, where I'm going with this, but we get so caught up that we latch on to carnal weapons and carnal methods to wage war for God. So caught up that we develop a Jonah mentality sometimes toward the lost of our generation, like the one Jonah had against the Ninevites. This is where I'm talking about kingdom integrity as far as attitude, how that can impact, how that can impact the way we even see the ones that God has called us to reach. We can see them like Jonah saw them as the enemy, or we can see them as ones that Christ died for that need to be pulled out of darkness into God's marvelous light. We get caught up and we can develop that Jonah mentality. How many of you are familiar with the story of Jonah? God wanted him to go preach to the Ninevites, and I'll just briefly touch on it. 
And what did Jonah do? He hopped on the ship going to Tarshish, going directly the opposite direction that God wanted him to go. Why? Because of what the Ninevites, the, the pain, the suffering, the affliction that the Ninevites had afflicted on his people. They were an evil people. They didn't love God. There was all kinds of, it was Sodom and Gomorrah stuff going on there. He did not want to see those people avoid consequences. He did not want to see them avoid God's wrath. So despite the fact that God told him to go and preach to those people, he ran the other way. God wouldn't let him escape. He sent a storm that threatened the ship that he was sailing on. One thing led to another. He told him to throw him overboard. He threw him overboard. He ends up in a, I'll just say a whale. It's a a huge fish. And uh, I guess like any of us would, after finding himself in the belly of the fish, he kind of reflected and had a change in attitude and, and came to his senses, so to speak, at least enough to do what God said. Before I move on, He may not be the best person to uh, use an example talking about attitude. Because after he, I mean, he had to be made to do this. All right? It's not like he was, it's not like he was willingly going up there to preach to uh, the Ninevites. After coming to himself, God gives him a second chance and he sends him to Nineveh and he does. So he repents, sort of. And he, and he does what God told him to do, and it sparks a national revival. You know, repentance, na- na- all the way from the commoner to the head man. Total repentance. The people were spared. The people turned to God. It was awesome. It was a beautiful thing. And Jonah is mad. I don't know. It's kind of, uh, he's mad for the reasons I said before. It, it, it's kind of funny, but, it, but it's kind of sad at the same instance. But isn't it interesting that Jonah had to repent and fall in line with God's way of doing things before God could use him to lead those evil Ninevites to repentance? You know, a lot of times I know we want the world to change. I know we want the country to change. I know we want, you know, a lot of things to change. But that's an instance of the change starting with the man of God, the change starting with the people of God. He had to have a change in attitude. He went out in obedience to God, and it led to a national revival. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Turn there with me. I won't keep you all much longer, but Second Chronicles chapter 20. I'm sorry, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Also a very familiar passage. 
I'm talking about this now, if you're wondering where I'm going. is I, you know, I believe God was telling me, including myself, you know, that there is a certain, uh, that there's an attitude that we sometimes struggle with within God's people. That sometimes we will view the very people that should be our mission field as the enemy, when they're not really the enemy. That's how God views them. And if we're not careful, we'll fall into the same trap that Jonah fell into. Where we won't even, where, where, we're, where we're trying our own thing and doing our own way of doing things instead of lining up with the way God wants things done. Falling in line with his order and the way things are done so that he can work with us and bring about that change that we all so desperately want. If my people, which are called by my name, now he's talking to his people, right? So regardless of what the world does, if God's people fall in line with this, the world can't stop what God wants to do. Amen? So just like in the tournament, we were talking about some of the games earlier. Hey, if you do what you're taught to do in that game better than the other team, you're going to win that game. Amen? So if we do what God has taught us to do, what God wants us to do, and we do it right, we're going to win. Amen? If my people, says the Lord, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. I'll just read that verse there. And I began to ask the Lord, and I, you know, what are you saying, Lord? And I just wrote some things down. He says, there's a lot of chatter, a lot of noise, a lot of voices out there that encourage us to walk in unforgiveness, hate, vengeance. And they encourage us to have judgmental attitudes towards those we should be praying for and trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The voices are basically telling us to ignore God's word and do what our our soul wants us to do. Be like Jonah. Let the Ninevites eat cake and die. Somewhere along the way, we started to see our mission field as the enemy. It's difficult for us to see how to reach them because we're too busy trying to defeat them. But that is not the heart of God. I would say God is saying, stop it. Let's go to the story of Jonah, and that's where I'll end today. Let's go to the book of Jonah. Chapter 2. My goodness.
I'll just go from chapter 2, verses 7 and 9. Jonah had to go, he had to be brought low. He had to be brought to a place where he could reflect and think about his mentality, think about his thought process, think about his attitude, and think about what was most important. And he finally came to uh, the conclusion that God's will, despite what he felt about it, was most important. And Jonah, Jonah said, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Too often times, like I mentioned earlier in the, earlier in the sermon, when I was talking about me and uh, Christy, talking about our struggles, our soul isn't fainting, our soul is being fed. What made him change? He said, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Then my prayer came into your holy temple. And he came to a conclusion. He said, they that observe, the King James Version says, lying vanities forsake their own mercies, but I will sacrifice unto you. I'm going to let it go. <laughs> I'm going to give it to you, God. It's, what, it, it, it's your will. You're the head honcho. You sent your son to die for these people. I can't stand them, but you can. I'm exaggerating a little bit. But you better believe that's where Jonah was. I can't stand them, Lord. I want them all to just, I want hellfire to rain down from heaven and, and, and destroy them all. I can't believe you want to save those people. Whatever. Whatever. I'm in a fish. I'll do it. I'll do it. And he did it. And even though he didn't have the best of attitudes while he did it, God still honored that obedience. He took it and he saved Nineveh. Because really, Second Peter 3, 9 says, well, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. That's God's attitude in it. And sometimes we, the, the, the chatter, the dissonance, the noise, the voices, we get caught up in that and, and we lose perspective. And our mission field isn't as dear to us as it ought to be. So maybe... You've been in the belly of the whale, and you haven't even noticed it until now. If you're in that place, you'll have to come out of it like Jonah came out. You know, where's your heart right now? Where's your mind at? Where are we? Whether it's an attitude toward the lost, whether it's a personal struggles, uh, whether you can't put the Twinkies and cupcakes down, whether you have an anger issue that's causing you to hurt 
your loved ones. Whether you're mad at God about something, it's interfering with your ability to 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 hold him in the proper reverence and 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 to esteem him and magnify him in your life like he ought to be. Maybe you're wondering why am I here? Why why have I not been able to move on? I'm trying, but it seems like every step I try to take, I'm losing too. Maybe you're in the belly of the whale. Maybe you need to come out like Jonah did. Maybe now is your time of reflection. The place you're in, in your mind, it stinks. Kind of like the belly of the fish. Smells, it stinks. I don't like this. I don't want to be here. Maybe that soul needs to faint within you. And you need to take this moment to remember the Lord. Let your prayer go up to his holy temple. And just decide, Lord, I don't like it. Not my cup of tea. What I feel in my heart, I know you you want me to do. I'm not crazy about it. But I will sacrifice unto thee. Are you willing to sacrifice your attitude this morning? If you find that this message is speaking to you, there are a couple of practical things you can do to break free from the bondage that you might find yourself in. Not rocket science. Uh, but number one, I say repent. Number one, repent. Two, at least for two to three weeks, turn off the chatter. Turn off the the voices, whether it be TV, radio, whatever it is. Turn off the chatter. Turn off the things that would tend to, to, to vex your heart and, and tend to pull you into uh, the, 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 uh, the, the Jonah mentality, the Jonah attitude. That would tend to make you see your mission field as an opponent. Turn off the chatter. Two to three weeks. That's what I I feel led to challenge you on. And spend that two to three weeks in God's word, studying how Jesus and the apostles worked their mission fields. Observe how they interacted with the lost. See if you can glean from each scripture the attitude and heart with which they encourage people to repent and be reconciled to God. So, you know, instead of the chatter being in there, confusing, adding extra perspectives and so forth, turn that off and just let God be the only chatter. Let God be the, the word of God be the only voice.
Let him speak to you. So that his heart may be infused inside of you and you can see the mission field how it's supposed to be seen. I know uh, this may not be as much for this church as it is for the church. (laughs) But still, uh, in some way, I don't believe I don't believe that God would would lead me to share this message if, in some measure, it wasn't needed. I don't know who it's needed by, but God does. I don't know who it's needed by, but if you needed it, you do. You know. And God is good. He loves us. He died for us. The same Jesus that suffered on the cross, on Calvary's cross, the same Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what what they do. Because of that same Jesus, the same spirit that raised him from the dead dwells in us. And the world needs to see that spirit. Amen? They need to see that heart. Not compromised, not watered down, but they still need to see that heart. So, I've shared this and uh, as far as one of my uh, personal struggles. I, I, I want to be 200 pounds again. You know, I'm beginning to wonder if I'll ever see it. But, uh, you know, any of you who are not too timid and not too bashful, Check up on me from time to time. <laughs> Hold me accountable. Ask me what I'm doing, you know, to win. If I'm doing the right things or not. If you see me putting a lot of junk to my mouth, I probably hate you at the moment. But I, but I promise it, it won't last forever. It won't last forever. I, I, I'll work through it especially depending on how much money I pay for it. But uh, seriously, though, you know, uh, that's just one area where I know I need to do something. Apparently I have not uh, been doing the things necessary to win. And uh, my brothers and sisters, I'm saying, and the Lord, I'm saying, hold me accountable. Uh, Try and keep me in check. Even though I'm bigger than most of you, and you know, just <laughs> do your best. But um, I'm going to give you anyone an opportunity. You know, if if you can, in your mind's eye, envision yourself, your situation, or or whatever it is, be it uh, you know, be it. Uh, Attitude, carnal mindset, uh, giving in to the appetites uh, of the flesh and so forth. If you in your mind's eye would envision that as being your belly of the, uh, of the whale. I want to give you an opportunity to just come up this morning and have your Jonah moment. You know, your moment where, where you say Jonah's prayer. Your moment where you repent in your heart and 
and uh, say, Lord, I put a stake in the ground. I build an altar this moment and say, not again. I will not stay chained to this thing. I will break free. I will be victorious. I, at this moment, I start running to win in this area of my life. If that's you in any way, I want to encourage you to just come and just make that, make that statement between you and God. I don't know if anyone, could, Todd, if you can play something. Uh, play, play something, uh, some worship music. And give us an opportunity to just say, Lord, here I am. Um, I've not been really having kingdom integrity in this area of my life. I know that. I've excused it. I've justified it. I've wallowed in it. But no more. I'm committing to win right now. You made me more than a conqueror. It's time that I showed that. I'm a winner in Jesus Christ if I follow his blueprint for winning. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your presence today. From the moment the first prayer was prayed, the first song was sang, to the delivering of your word, Father God, you've been here with us. And we just praise you and thank you, Lord. Father, I just pray that your people were, were blessed. Father God, and that the word of God that was shared today, Father God, takes is a seed that's planted in our heart, takes root and bears fruit in everyone's life for your glory and for the benefit of the kingdom. This is our prayer in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, I'm not sure who the rotation is on the prayer ministry, but if you need prayer in any way, uh, the prayer ministry team will be up here and available to pray with you and bless you in any way that they can. Um, Otherwise, you are free to go.